I can't rationalize decisions and things. I just know with every molecule of my being that something is right. And I think that that's another thing about about taking care of yourself is as allowing the space for that intuition to kind of flourish and, and grow. Welcome back everyone to Reconditioned with me, Lauren Vacneen. I am really excited for you to hear today's episode with Joe Fairley. Um, Joe is really an incredible human being who um, I, last spoke, I first spoke to about two years ago and I would consider her now somewhat a mentor. She has really inspired me in business, but not just in running a business, but also in running a business intentionally while trying to help the planet and being mindful of that, while also being mindful of our own health and not in this kind of egoic way but in a way that is for the greater good and you know that term greater good has really been taken out of context and used uh, to scare people a lot in the last few years and I mean it in a very different sense and Joe and I really today just had a bit of a chat really about her journey being the founder of Green and Black's Chocolate and how that came about and what she's learned from that and how she kind of manages her life in um, an intentional way with some really interesting bits of information in there. I really hope you'll all enjoy this I know you will and don't forget to rate the podcast on Spotify you can do that just by clicking the stars so that would be great if you can do that and so let's get on with this episode with Joe. before we do a quick word from our partners Block Blue Light. I'm so excited to be working with Block Blue Light again. You guys know I talk about their blue light blocking glasses a lot, but I actually have new reason to talk to you about them now. So a lot of you know we're renovating our new house at the moment, and we have decided to go ahead and kit out our entire house with anti-blue light bulbs because of how damaging modern lighting is to our health and our sleep. We wanted to change everything modern houses usually have that we never question, but that are actually really detrimental to health. So in this case, things like not having dimmers because they release such high EMFs, electromagnetic frequencies, or not having LED or fluorescent lighting anywhere, which seems crazy to everyone because that's just what we're used to. We wanted lights without damaging blue light But in rooms like the kitchen, I really wanted to make sure I still had enough light, especially living in the UK where it gets dark at 4pm in the winter. And this was a little bit of a concern of mine because I still really want the house to be fully functional for modern living. But the Block Blue Light team created the world's first biologically friendly day to night full spectrum light bulb. And that's a lighting technology that really closely replicates the same visual color spectrum as visible natural light from the sun. And this sort of exposure to full spectrum light will increase energy throughout the day and uplifts our mood and increases overall well-being. And of course, these lights are super low EMF. And low EMF is something I've become hyper aware of in recent years and something we're really trying to focus on with this house. So for rooms where we don't need lights that are as bright, we've opted for their amber light and taken their advice on things like having floor and table lamps. So after dusk, we'd only have lights at eye height because our ancestors would have only had firelight after dusk, right? And no overhead lighting. And we know that when we mimic our natural states as much as possible, our health thrives. And we wanted to make sure we did this with our new home in every way we could. So they also created the first ever blue light free reading lamp that attaches to your book and it has three brightness settings, but no blue light whatsoever. So it won't damage my sleep in any way, which is life changing for me because I read in bed every night. Now, this is the third season reconditioned have teamed up with Block Blue Light because we all know that healthy eating is essential and all of that great stuff, but not enough people know of how important reducing our exposure to bait and EMFs is. And I really want to continue sharing this message. Sleep optimization is key to health and these products really maximize that. So you can go ahead and use the code LV20 at checkout on blockbluelight.co.uk for 20% discount across the entire range. Thank you so much to Block Blue Light. And now an uninterrupted episode. Joe Fairley is one of the UK's leading female entrepreneurs and inspirational speakers. After becoming the UK's youngest ever magazine editor at the age of 23, she set out on her entrepreneurial journey in 1991 when she co-found Green and Black's Chocolate, now a $100 million a year brand. She's co-founder of thebeautybible.com, which grew out of the best-selling Beauty Bible series and the Perfume Society. 
She now travels the UK and Europe, motivating audiences with lessons from her business and life journey. So welcome, welcome back. Thank you, Lauren. It's lovely to be back. Oh, it's so lovely to have you back. So I know we did this uh, once before. It was nearly two years ago now. Oh my God. I know, can you believe it? Beginning of lockdown. It was right at the beginning of lockdown and we were all like, we didn't know how to manage it. And we were talking a lot about how managing lockdown and all the kind of lessons we were being faced with at the time. So yeah, I can't believe nearly two years um, has gone. But yeah, it's a kind of, well, it is a different podcast now. And um, you know, I always use this term that you're one of my biggest expanders. So I uh, wanted to get my audience now to, to hear all about you. Um, so before we start, I always start by asking the same question, which is what have you done so far today to support your wellness? I have uh, taken my Chinese herbs, which I get from a man called John Tyndall, who's an amazing practitioner of traditional Chinese medicine, um, which is my immune boosting blend that he makes up specially for me. Um, and I am in the process of sipping my 1000 milligrams of uh liposomal vitamin c while, oh, yep. <laughs> while taking my my box of vitamins so i completely rattle but i just <laughs> think that um some help keep me upright and actually i went to see a had to see a sports doctor recently because i woke up with a bizarre cyst on the back of my knee and so i trotted on to see a sports doctor and the first thing he said to me so what medications do you want and i said well i'm not on any medications and he, he looked at my birthday which i'm not about to share with you and he said uh are you not on any medications and i went no so he said well whatever you're doing keep doing it <laughs> what what do you put that down to then I think I put it down to the fact that I prioritise my health. I don't think that health is something that happens to you. Absolutely. I think it's something that you are actively engaged in. And, and I think that that mindset is not shared by everybody. I think they believe that, you know, their health journey is literally just something that happens to them and they don't participate in it at all. Yeah, yeah. I talk about that a lot, actually. I, I really feel that it's is we have this um this expectation or, or perhaps we've just bought into this narrative that your health comes from something external someone will give it to you yes you know that the state the government the doctor and that it's not something that we create for ourselves based off of the physical but also thoughts yeah you know the vibrations the energy every every the way we live our life in every way yes exactly so so that's my philosophy and i've i've you know been engaged with that kind of my whole adult life I think um taking charge of my own health and 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 literally prioritizing it and as a business person you know with people who depend on me for their salaries and their well-being and their you know day-to-day -day living etc it is my responsibility to stay well so mm -hmm. that I can continue to do my job so that they can continue to do their job love that yeah and, and that I feel like that's the the thinking of a of a real leader that's what leadership should look like um so let's go into your journey um because obviously you were the first person to bring well you tell us about your journey with chocolate and how it how it all started with green and black <laughs> well I married Craig Sams in 1991 and he is I mean he's a big part of my wellness journey as well he founded um, a company called Whole Earth Foods back in 1972 and before that he had the first um, organic bakery in the UK and uh, he also had the first macrobiotic restaurant in Europe which he opened in 1967. So he has always believed that you are what you eat basically um, and we we got together in the late 80s and I would travel with him to lots of trade shows and you know it was it was lovely people who thought that we could change the world through food basically and a very very small community of brands and people and uh it was a because everyone felt like they were on a kind of global mission to save people's well-being through food um it was very mutually supportive and so quite often people would come to craig with a product idea 
or he would put someone in touch with someone else. It was very, very networky in a very positive way. It wasn't rivalrous at all. Um, but we would see these same people in, in Denmark and um, Germany and America. And, you know, it was it was a small community pretty much at that time. And also still quite far out there. Yeah. It, natural foods in the early 90s had a very still a bit of an earth shoes and lentils image to it. Mm. Um, and, you know, oh, gnarly carrots and dirt on your turnips and all of that stuff. Um, so Green and Blacks came about because a friend of ours, um, oh, it came about because Whole Earth was looking for a supply of peanuts for their world famous peanut butter. The best is. peanut butter in the world, literally, well, hands down. There's no question. <laughs> Maybe, may have been tall, dark and handsome and Nabia Silver Fox, but we know it's all about the peanut butter. It's all about the peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, as he was searching for peanuts, he found a great source in West Africa. And these particular peanuts, unfortunately, they were very high quality, but they failed a very important test, which is an aflatoxin test. And aflatoxin is something which is highly carcinogenic in, um, uh, and it's found in, in peanuts. And um, his Craig's benchmark for aflatoxin was half what the rest of the industry was observing at the time. Anyway, they failed the aflatoxin test, which was a great disappointment to him. And the guy turned around and said, well, I've also got cocoa beans. And Craig said, I can't do anything with cocoa beans. You know, whole earth is founded on the principles of no added sugar and chocolate has sugar in it. But I tell you what, can we get some samples made up with beans and we'll see what it comes out like. And then maybe I can put you in touch with, you know, one of my colleagues in Europe or whatever. So he had this idea, in fact, that our friend Elizabeth in Denmark might launch a chocolate bar under her brand, Utapam. So anyway, he got the samples and ate most of them. And I found two remaining squares on his desk and stuffed my face with it. And it's like an explosion went off in my mouth. And it's like, oh, my God, what is this? This is the best chocolate I've ever eaten, because you have to remember at the time, the darkest chocolate you could buy was 49%. Wow. 70% dark chocolate. And, but it was rich and just, you know, so much flavor. And Craig said, well, it's a sample of the world's first dark chocolate, but organic chocolate, but I can't do anything with it because it's got sugar in. And, you know, when you can be first with anything, the first organic chocolate in the world, as a journalist, I could really see the kind of, news potential of this and also it was such a great product I completely believed in it and so I kind of nagged at him and eventually Craig turned around and said look if you're so interested why don't you do it and what he really meant was that actually whole earth could take care of lots of the very important functions you know the sales and distribution etc but I had to do the PR and marketing and I had to finance it because it was the middle of a financial year. And you don't just come up with a budget for a whole new brand in the middle of the financial year. But I'd sold my flat before I moved in with him. So I had £20,034 in the bank. And two tonnes of chocolate cost me 20,000 quid. And I didn't even have enough left for a pair of shoes. So we came up with the idea one Saturday night in bed of the name um, Green because it was organic and black because it was the darkest chocolate on the market at the time. Uh, Craig had some other ideas. He thought it maybe should be eco-choc or bio-choc or uh, pretty sure I wouldn't be talking to you this morning, Lauren, if that was the case. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, we did it. And um, I had no idea how much work it was going to be building a brand and, and everything that was entailed and the roller coaster journey that business is even though I'd been living with him for a while and I'd kind of you know seen it but by then his brand was quite established so anyway we had this great we've had this great adventure with this brand um you know setting out to create something that had people and planet at its heart and kind of by the by I guess changing the way people thought about the food that was going into their mouths why had there never been an organic chocolate before that? Because surely these places were were cultivating cocoa beans. 
most cocoa production at that point was um, was fairly industrialized. It was big plantations, and you have a problem growing um, cacao like that on a big plot, uh, on a big plantation because uh, it is very susceptible to disease, and so um, it's hard to cultivate on a large scale organically. And so it needs, you know, a network of small farmers, which is what we tapped into. And what we still tap into in in um, the Dominican Republic, which is where most of the cacao comes from now, it's it, you know cooperatives um, and communities of small farmers. My my biggest question from everything you just said is what made you what gave you that assurance, and did you feel assured when you gave up your twenty thousand pounds? <laughs> you were left with thirty four pounds in your bank. What gave you that confidence to put it all into this thing that had never been done before so okay I'd eaten a lot of chocolate in my life I had a lot to compare it to I knew it was the best chocolate and as a journalist I had that insight into the the kind of media possibility of launching something that is very uh, is the first of its kind and I could tell that kind of on the jungle drums you know it was the time when chefs were just coming out of the kitchen and starting to talk about provenance and ingredients and um, producers and all of that stuff and I felt that it really kind of tapped into that mood of the moment and sure enough people like Delia Smith and Hugh Fenner Whittingstall and in due course Jamie Oliver etc really kind of um, became you know unpaid ambassadors for the brand basically because it ticked all their boxes so I knew the moment was right and that was my journalism basically yeah. that, that told me that and my love of chocolate <laughs> and you've said to me once before that you um you do tend to make decisions on on a gut feeling yeah. is that because I talk a lot about kind of masculine and feminine energies and that intuition is very much the feminine energy and that so many of us have actually lost because in business we tend to think that we have to kind of follow where the money is and yeah. think very pragmatically have you always thought like that yeah I've always always been incredibly instinctive and often I I can't rationalize decisions and things I just know with every molecule of my being that something is right and um and I think that that's another thing about about taking care of yourself is as allowing the space for that intuition to kind of flourish and, and grow. Because if you are running around like a headless chicken, the messages are not going to get through, you know, um, and you're going to overthink, you're going to think things rather than feel them. And um, so, yeah, my my intuition about everything that I've done has been very important. Yeah, I, I feel that so much. I, I think that it's so overlooked and it's really something I try to to teach my clients. And, you know, it's a big part of my course that I'm teaching women to feel back into that intuition because, like you say, those, those decisions can't be made from the head. And that's something my spiritual teachers always told me. You can't make life-changing decisions from a thought process yeah. because that, that's just coming from conditioning. It's not coming, and so you know the higher self is tapped into this. What we really need, what what truly, truly we need at a core level, yeah. And it's so important to, and like you say, if you're running around like a headless chicken, you're not actually connected to your yeah, no. true self, to your intuition. How are you going to hear it? Yeah. So, what were the biggest kind of stumbling blocks and challenges at that time? Because you were doing something so new. Was it very difficult finding the farmers, or was it? I mean, I imagine that it, to, to be able to support these farmers in that way might have been, again, like a, just another um, facet of what you were doing that was creating good. Yes. I mean, you know, when you're when you're establishing what are essentially fair trade relationships with people, um, and, you know, we went on with the Belizean farmers who we who we we needed a secondary supply of chocolate a few years later because it got very volatile in West Africa and we couldn't always get the beans out when we needed them and there were blockades on the ports and lots of other stressful things going on um, so we needed a secondary supply but you know the great thing about fair trade is it's a very symbiotic relationship so we gave our farmers we paid them you know 
a, a fair price di dictated by the, the Fair Trade Foundation. And um, we also gave them a five-year rolling contract, which gave them a, the sort of security that they'd never had before, because literally they would just sell their beans from year to year, couldn't always sell them, got ripped off by middlemen, etc. But the five-year rolling contract also gave us security. You know, we knew that we could access those beans for five years. So it enabled us both, I think, to have the confidence that we could kind of grow this business together. Um, and it, it allowed <clears throat> those farmers and their families to plan and, you know, have a security that was literally unheard of for them, etc. So actually the biggest um, challenge was how successful we were because, mm. <laughs> because um, we just grew so fast and cash flow was always our absolute number one lie awake at two o'clock in the morning nightmare basically um, just worrying about where we're going to be able to pay our bills and you know we were buying um, we were buying chocolate from the factory and we were selling it to supermarkets and to you know high profile retailers like Conrad Shop and Harrods and all that kind of thing but they were not ever paying us as quickly as we had to pay our suppliers mm. you know, you've got some supermarkets now who pay you in 180 days which wow. is months so um it, cash flow for all businesses well not just ours it's the number one challenge always yeah and so then Eventually, obviously, you did decide to sell Green and Black. Yeah. How did you get to that decision? And, um, and what made you want to do that? Well, cash flow. <laughs> <laughs> the light, I wake at two in the morning. Cash flow. I mean, the point was that we knew that we had this great brand. And we knew that because everything was tied up in stock, we didn't have the resources to grow it the way it should be grown. And by that point, we needed really high level talent as well. We needed a fantastic, you know, I mean, I'm okay as a marketing director but it's not my background I'm a journalist and marketing director um, and so it was very important to us that when the first batch of private equity investment came in that it came with an injection of cash to pay for some high level talent as well and that really powered the business to the next level so um, it was quite an easy decision in some ways because we just we knew we had this this gem but that it wasn't um, it wasn't able to reach its full potential because literally everything was in that warehouse. Every penny we had was in that warehouse. So we didn't have money to promote. We didn't have money to advertise. We didn't have money to rebrand. We didn't have, you know, it's just, it is the biggest problem for every business I know. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess people looking at you then from the outside would have thought that you were rolling in riches because of how well it was doing taking a salary i mean yeah. you know i was i was surviving on my journalism and having to get up you know two or three hours earlier than 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 you know so like six and be at my desk by six instead of nine so that i could do some writing and then you know earn some money and then get to the day job basically wow <laughs> it's just that i don't know it's just so lovely to kind of to see that from someone like yourself who you know people I guess from the outside would have this image and um and I suppose that that's motivational for people to hear that it's not you know it's not always roses from the inside when you're running a business no and if you want to shut your door your door on what you do you know don't start your own business it's it's you want to go home at six o'clock and just oh God, yeah it's, it's not it's not going to happen um and you'll be better off working for somebody else but on the other hand if you if you do have an entrepreneurial mindset and you are prepared to kind of you know ride the roller coaster and put in the long hours it's just incredibly exciting it's it's more exciting than any job you'll ever have yeah so. yeah I agree it, it's it's a juggle but it, it's worth it if you love what you do and I think yeah. that's what it comes down exactly. to is really having a passion for it so when when did you sell well it was all sorts lots of stages really so so we took private equity investment in 2000 which certainly helped with the sleepless nights <laughs> we sold to Cadbury's in 2005 and then Cadbury's was bought by 
craft, which became Mondelez. So it's been quite a journey, but I'm proud to say that, you know, I'm still a chocolate ambassador for Green and Blacks. And I, I'm incredibly proud of what they do and the way that our values have rippled up into this huge global organization. I mean, they have a project in West Africa called Coco Life, which is a $400 million project. It works with farmers on the ground and 13 different charities. I think it's 13. But basically they don't just train farmers to grow better cocoa and therefore improve their family income, but they also find out what those villages need through the network of NGOs. And so that might be um, water infrastructure. So kids don't have to um, march for six hours to get water for their families every day. It might be a school. And also women have to be financially empowered in the um, in the villages in order for the, those villages to be part of the programme. So we were told by the head of head of craft, um, head of Mondelez, that you know, this was born out of watching them watching what we did with Green and Black. So that's my legacy, basically, is having helped to, to kind of influence big business to change. Because a little business like ours can make a, a small difference, but a big business makes an absolutely massive difference. And not just for your company, but actually what you did was totally pioneering. And yeah. now <clears throat> the fair trade organic chocolate is everywhere. Yeah. So... Exactly. In a, if we can think about that from a non-egotistical perspective and, you know, the competition and all of that, but that's helping the planet. Absolutely. And, and I really genuinely think that what has to happen now um, is that there has to be more collaboration. There has to be not, a, not just the spirit of competition in business, mm. but actually a collaboration, pooling resources, pooling logistics, pooling, you know... It, it's it's going to happen um and i'm i'm very encouraged that actually people are things are starting to change things mm. are starting to change i think that's just what's needed generally on a collective basis with the planet i i'm a, an avid reader a follower of charles eisenstein i don't I don't know if you follow his work at all. No, not on my radar. He's, he's, uh, he's brilliant. Um, doesn't like to give himself labels or titles. He's kind of a you know, philosopher, social anthropologist, speaker, writer. Um, I'm actually interviewing him in a few weeks. So that's a big moment. But he talks about, in one of his, he's got a book called um, The Story of the More Beautiful World We Know Exists. Um, you'll love it, actually. <laughs> I'll, um, I'll send it to you. Um, it's, um, and he talks about the story of separation where we are kind of living in the, a society um, for the last kind of 100 years or so, where we all feel like we have to get on and, and be better than the next person. And it's competition and it's I have to earn this sort of amount of money. And it's the story of separation. We're all separate from each other and separate from the planet. Yeah. Whereas when everyone comes together in this, this you know, unicity, like you've just spoken about, pooling our resources for the greater good, somehow it's almost like communism had the right idea but just <laughs> went a bit wrong you know and the only place I've ever seen that actually work is in um in in Israel where they had the kibbutzim um yeah. and and it really works it's communal living and everyone chips in and everyone and you know my family are from Israel I've seen it firsthand and it it works really really well but I think um in any situation where then there are kind of leaders then it does become about the few and not the many. But just kind of following on from what you said, just based on, you know, saying everyone has to pull their, pull their resources and everything in order for this to grow. I think that that's just true for life generally right now. And we're seeing yeah, that. Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the penny really dropped and it was, you know, quite some way into my eco journey when, you know, I was still talking about saving the planet and green living and all that mm. kind of thing. And I was at a soil association event and there was a, there's a wonderful Indian environmentalist called Vandana Shiva. And somebody asked her in the question time panel at the end, um, do you think it's too late to save the planet? And she just nodded very sagely and went, the planet will be fine without us. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. Okay, I get it now. Yeah. <laughs> it's us. Yeah. It's not the lump of rock that's just going to sprout trees and, you know, have animals running wild and be beautiful again. It's 
us. And I think that we kind of um, are in denial about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a such a kind of gulp moment for me. And really, it is what it boils down to. You know, we're creating a planet that is going to be uninhabitable by our descendants. And um, and it will be quite happy being uninhabitable. Um, so it's 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 very urgent. And I think the, one of the things I find most frustrating about the pandemic is that uh, there was a bit of stuff on the front page about environmentalism around COP. COP26 in November. And then it got bumped off the front page by Omicron. And mm. there's nothing like that. And actually, it's the much bigger emergency. Yeah, so, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, yeah, we don't need to go into the, the who's and why's of, of why that actually is. But um, interestingly, I'm interviewing Vandana next week. Wonderful. Well, yeah. Tell, you can, you know, bow down from me. <laughs> she's an incredible woman she absolutely is i can't wait to have this chat with her um because again it comes down to that what can we all do as a collective because like you said you know we had kind of this new age talk in the 90s and the early 2000s save the planet and you know one love and but what were we actually doing pragmatically moving forward as a collective not just as one individual being here or there doing and and, and don't get me wrong each individual being who starts on this journey is then sowing seeds to other individual beings. Yeah. But the initiative has to be as part of the collective. So I suppose, you know, brands like yours really kind of were the pioneers for that starting. Yeah. And I, you know, I don't think you have to live the life of a monk. I don't think you have to stop shopping. I don't think you have to, you know, only eat worthy food and rice and lentils for the rest of your life etc but I think it's about a consciousness and I filled in there's a new campaign actually which I just got some info on yesterday from the wonderful Safia Mini who um, is the founder of People Tree and basically I'm just trying to find the name of it um, it's a new campaign that is trying to get people to think about fashion in a different way mm. Um, I'm just going to Google it uh, so I got, get the name. Um, but um, it's about thinking before you do anything. Right. And so, you know, I buy um, I buy clothes, but I, I shop my wardrobe when I can. And I also um, buy secondhand and um you know take my clothes to local um resale place and she puts it on um uh on the on what we call the national debt etc um and um so and we buy organic um and we don't throw much food away Mm. so it's it's just about trying to just about thinking before you uh before you buy shop do anything Basically. Yeah, yeah. This is really the conversation we all need to be having. I had this conversation with Jasmine Hemsley last week. I interviewed her, and we were talking about conscious fashion, conscious living, conscious. And it is—it's just that consciousness. We're not living like monks, no. like you say. You know, I'm living in London. It's um, it's fast-paced, and that. But there are always ways to mitigate, so we can live within modern living, and then find ways to mitigate harmful effects of EMFs, or we can learn how to, um, you know, shop more consciously. And and I think what that does, if everyone, and like you're just saying about eating organic, what I hear a lot is, but it's too, it's too expensive. I can't afford to eat organic. And, and I get that. And I hear that if every single person started doing something small, every person who could afford to really make even small changes did that, it's that consumer pressure. And that's what's needed it's the big brands who need to be changing what they're doing. I think that consumer pressure adds to that. Yeah. So Safia's campaign is called Fashion Declares. By the Ooh. way, okay. To... I will look that up and I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, um, um, but but you know, with the organic thing, of course, we've heard it from the very beginning, which is you know, it's expensive, right? And you know, when we launched, we were Green and Blacks was one pound eighty nine and. But because we got economies of scale really early on, it stayed 189 for about 20 years. Wow. Incredible. Um, 
And so, you know, the more people buy, the more price comes down. And it's much too complicated to go into here. But if we get to the stage of having carbon pricing, mm. um, actually non-organic food will become more expensive than organic food because the end consumer will pay for the hidden costs mm. uh, in that product, which is basically the hidden cost in terms of um, climate change and pollution. And right. So, and infertility. And and absolutely. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Soil loss of fertility, you know, poisoned oceans, all of those things. It's it's poised to happen at some point. It's fiendishly complicated. And so um, I'm not going to go into details here. But basically, when you buy most things in a supermarket, if they come from conventional agriculture, you're not you're a lot of the price is being paid by the environment. And at some point that is going to be turned on its head. Yeah. I've been listening a lot to um, Zach Bush talk about this. I find him one of the most yeah. fascinating people to, to listen to at the moment. Um, I just listen to him as much as I can. And, you know, he talks about how um, glyphosate from Roundup, you know, that they're spraying on, on all the crops. It's not just a case of, well, I buy organic, so I don't need to worry about that. It's getting into the soil supply generally. Really? And well, so it, it's getting into our water. And because of how that all works, it's actually getting into our rainfall. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I live in a town, I live in Hastings, and they spray the weeds with glyphosate. <laughs> and, it, and it rains and it runs off into the sea. And I'm swimming in that, you know, and it's just wrong. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with them going along with a flamethrower and killing the weeds that way, if they really want to kill the weeds, you know. Mm, um, right. So it, there's, yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, the danger is that people hear things like this and they freak out and they just think, oh, I can't deal with this. It's too much to take on. And so it goes back to exactly what you were saying about baby steps, basically. Right. Doing one thing at a time. Mm. And reading and, and thinking more than we currently do. And, you know, going right back to that early point of... Um, taking care of yourself um i i think i mean i know that if i've been overworking and overdoing it you know the first thing i want to do is treat myself to something you know it's like i need okay i need a treat because i'm knackered and i've worked so hard and all that kind of thing well if you're not quite so knackered you don't kind of need to go out and buy a new handbag or a this, that, and the other, because actually you're, you've, you're, you are, it's its own reward. It's its own reward. I'd rather, and now, you know, if I, if I need a treat, I'll have a massage. Uh, my handbag yeah. days are behind me. I own enough handbags. And actually, I haven't got a big collection of handbags, but I've certainly got enough to last me the rest of my life. And I think that most of us do. Yeah, I had this joke with my husband last year on my birthday. He was like, he bought me a shamanic drum and he was like, most people you know of your age are asking for handbags <laughs> and I've bought you a shamanic drum. Um, so, you know, that's how high maintenance I am <laughs> in that respect. <laughs> okay, so I'm, I'm just going to hold up to show Seth, to, to show um, Lauren, but I did buy a new handbag last week on eBay. I love it. £15.50 and then got a strap for it. It's it's kind of embroidered black leather. It was on eBay. It was £14.50. I think the strap was another 15 quid or something. And, you know, the, the kind of the satisfaction of knowing that I've got something pre-loved. Um, I'd much rather have that now than, a, a you know, some kind of designer label item. Yeah, I agree. And I love following you on Instagram because you always post these amazing finds that you found in a secondhand shop or on eBay or something. Like you, And, and they're always gorgeous and beautiful. Everything's so eclectic in your house. I love it's very yeah. eclectic. Very eclectic. I think I was a magpie in a previous life. But yeah, I can't, I can't. I mean, I did buy a new sofa a few years ago, but I really, if I possibly can, I mean, I just, just read it in a kitchen and... I got it off Facebook Marketplace and it was £945 for a wow. solid kitchen that this person had paid £20,000 for 15 years ago. You know, and it's so much more meaningful to me because it's already had a life. 
Yeah. And I just sent him some pictures of it actually in its new setting and it's all been painted green and it looks amazing. And he um he was like, wow, I can't believe this is the same kitchen. But um yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, this is the thing. I'm sofas and massive. We're renovating at the moment, and we I had this conversation with Jasmine last week about you know sofas and the foams in them and the off gassing and new sofas. And now I'm so I'm looking for like you know secondhand sofas, but a lot of them are oh it's yeah it's unmindful. But to come back to your point of no, this, this these conversations are never to scare people or overwhelm people. No. It always comes down to what can you do today to take that first step towards helping the planet if you can't afford to go out and buy everything organic what can you do yes. to be part of that collective that is helping to to shift us into more positive yeah. um behavior patterns and obviously if you're only going to buy one organic thing it should be chocolate <laughs> <laughs> obviously or just you know um in case you know you're listening to this and, and uh, you know anyone's listening and hasn't heard about this always look up the clean 15 dirty dozen because that's really important it's um just for anyone listening now, um, it's basically like fruits and vegetables with really thick skins. The, the the pesticides are less likely to penetrate deep, whereas things with really thin skins like strawberries, you know, berries of any kind, cucumbers, it's lettuces. I would never eat a non-organic lettuce. And broccoli, apparently broccoli. I've seen, but they they tested the DNA of a non-organic broccoli, and it was it was hardly a broccoli. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Kale we, as well. We don't throw food away. You know, we 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 really I'm Craig. Craig is, in particular is the leftover king, you know, yeah, <laughs> have a second life and a third life. And a, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And we all need to be more like that. I think we've got so used to this. And my husband was like this and, and he's he's really got better since he's kind of stepped into more conscious living, conscious thinking. But we, we live in the society of like, we just want now, now, now. We want new things. We want to experience. We want, oh, variety, variety. So, you know, he'd want a different meal every day and it needed to be exciting. And, you know, he's, he's, he's really moved away from that in the last few years because that was really difficult. So we've got leftovers, but you want to cook something new. Well, let's have the leftovers. So, um, so just to touch on, obviously, then you, so you sold Green and Blacks and then you, you started with the Beauty Bible. Yes. Well, actually, to be fair, Beauty Bible started in 1996 as a as a book, and it became a kind of um, it became, I think, with the biggest selling series of beauty books ever published because we did about 13 versions of the Beauty Bible, and now it's all online at beautybible.com, and we have our Beauty Bible Awards, which um, you know it might sound kind of contradictory on the one hand, you know, talking about saving the planet or saving the human race let's get that right um, and then also talking about something which is considered frivolous and and frothy um but which actually you and i know is really serious stuff because actually it's part of self-care and that time that we spend on our beauty rituals i've realized why it's so important to women which is that it is probably the only time in that day that they do something that is 100 exclusively for themselves mm almost certainly so that's why it's so important to people but the point of the beauty bible is we send real products to real women to trial we have groups of 10 they get 10 products and they put them through their paces as we as, as a real customer would in real life over a period of months not just kind of rubbing it on your arm and seeing what it you know does it smell yeah and it's actually seeing what results you get and and our mission is just literally to to, out of the hundreds of thousands of products out there to identify products that are really good buys and that a group of 10 women who are very representative and you know have the right skin type or skin tone or or you know problem quote unquote like you know cellulite or whatever can find products that actually really do work without having to embark on very expensive trial and error that leaves them with a whole load of stuff that actually they just stick staring guiltily at on their bathroom shelf because they've spent money on it and they can't quite bring themselves to throw it throw it away but it isn't what they hoped yeah and I so agree with you about rituals um I'm such a big fan of rituals generally um and especially with self-care when it comes to women and that is something that I wouldn't say I'm a vain person um but I take pride in how I make myself feel yes um 
and that's important to me absolutely and yeah so I, I totally get that so are you is that still something you're working on at the moment yeah, beauty bibles up and you know it's it, it's still going we do um a feature every day sarah who is um a former health writer of the year really was um you magazine's health writer for 20 years um she does uh she does a weekly column um we both do features for the for the website and we also every day have a a beauty bible loves product which is something that we we really with all our experience also really rate and well i mean you know we probably could make a fortune selling advertising but we don't because i don't want to be in the pockets of any of the beauty brands i want us to have this rep maintain this reputation that we have for being completely independent yeah i love that that's brilliant and so what what is your focus on mainly these days i know you do a lot of amazing talks and you're yeah. asked to do lots of inspirational speaking i which is so nice to be able to do it again um because obviously for about 18 months there were no real life events and i really missed them and it's not no. a thing it's just you know, I know how hard it is running a business. I know how hard it is to to be on a career path and, and the fact that you need constantly to have your batteries recharged and feel inspired again to kind of get back on the horse and, you know, keep going, etc. And so if I can inspire people, which, you know, is the word that I'm delighted to say is most often used after my after my talks, then you know, I I was incredibly lucky to be able to hear other people, other inspirational speakers talk. And sometimes it was enough to kind of keep me going, you know, um, when things were very, very hard and they often were very, very hard. So I think it's really important in business to um, step away from the firefighting and look at the bigger picture and it will almost invariably feel, make you feel better about things. And I think listening to somebody speak is a really good way of doing that. I mean, it's the same with podcasts, frankly. You know, I listen to lots of podcasts and it just uh, it gives you a fresh perspective. And you can be, you know, I go for a walk, I listen to a podcast, listen to your podcast, listen to Holly Tucker. And by the time I get back to my desk, my brain's in a different place. Yeah. I agree. I've I've said before, I I never got to go to university. I was, you know, very disabled when I was meant to go to university and podcasts have honestly been I feel like I've learned more from podcasts oh God, yes. than I would have learned from university. It, it, it's an absolute education in for every aspect of my life, whatever kind of podcast I'm listening to. Whatever you want to listen to, um is is there's something for you. Yeah. And I, I completely love them. I listen to cooking ones when I'm cooking. I listen to work ones during the work day because I do feel slightly guilty if I go for a walk and I listen to a fashion podcast when I'm just walking along the seafront. So I listen to work podcasts. <laughs> I, I do compartmentalize it a bit. <laughs> yeah, I think you have to do that. I mean, I listen to a lot of kind of health and growth, you yeah. know, kind of stuff. But sometimes you actually then just want something a bit more... Um, Oh, just easy, a bit lighter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, that, and that's okay as well. And you've got to listen to that instinct telling you that. Um, so obviously last time we spoke, it was right at the beginning of lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot has changed, a lot hasn't. Um, but I think we are, I mean, I've certainly learned a lot and have grown a lot. I'm wondering what's changed for you or what you've learned or gained in these last two years. Uh, I definitely um, know what I don't want to do anymore. And in fact, I sold one of my businesses um, at the end of lockdown uh, because it was just not bringing me. It was not what I wanted to spend the next five years doing, basically. And I so I reclaimed that part of my life. And I think also part of having that business was that I... I did keep a flat in London, which I only rented, but I, I had somewhere else that I had to be and had a lot of meetings and um, spent a lot of time away from home. And actually, I loved being at home absolutely consistently during lockdown, not having to go to London for three days a week or two days a week even, you know, and I just thought I'm, I'm not going to do that again. I'm here now. 
and it's wonderful. So, um, so that's that's a big shift, really. Is that I I have one life in one place, and occasionally I, you know, it's inconvenient, and I have to spend a night in London and either you know kip with a friend or or stay in a hotel or something. But but in general, I'm really liking just being grounded in one place. Yeah, and that's probably the biggest change for me. And are you still doing the Wellington Centre? Yes, we have our wellbeing centre, um, and. Uh, of course we had to shut it at the beginning of lockdown but as certain services became um because it so this is a nine room well-being center in hastings where i live it's really beautiful we have really world-class therapists and um as as it became permissible to have things like acupuncture or physio or osteopathy or whatever we kind of could partly reopen but it wasn't until um when was it? I mean, I've lost like everybody. I've lost them. Yeah, totally. <laughs> what happened when? We've got no sense of time. Literally none. Literally none. I say to people last year, and actually I think about it, and I mean it was three years ago. Well, yeah, because that was before the pandemic and after the pandemic. And if yeah. it was before, then you're thinking about, you know, over two years ago. Yeah. Which is um, but anyway, so so anyway, we're back to having classes again, and, and you know, it's it's pretty much back to normal now. Um, but at the same time, actually, from a business perspective, it's we've never been busier because people need they need a lot of DLC now. You know, psychologically, we have psychotherapists and and uh, counselors, etc. And there's a lot of mental health challenges that have have been the knock on effect of of lockdown. So. Yeah, I mean, huge to the extent that everyone I speak to mentions a new challenge, a challenge that they faced I hadn't thought of, yeah. someone's child. Or I always give this example of Vida, my youngest, who's three now. She she was one and a half, not even one and a half when we went into lockdown. And I remember taking them, the, the playground was cordoned off, it was all closed, but the skate park was there and there were people who looked at you funny if you walked into the skate park even though it was you know an open space but you know my children were like screaming for something and I remember Vida going down the slope the concrete slope and going wee and me going oh my god this poor child doesn't know what a slide is she thinks this is a slide this concrete slope and that's not you know that's not going to kill her or harm her in, in any way she'll be fine but it just that there were instances. I hear people tell me all sorts of stories of how their children have come out of this and the anxiety levels. But there are things that have happened that we and the the, the world leaders don't can't even fathom that people are managing. Well, the children, there's a whole cohort of kids who haven't learned to share. Right. Haven't learned to share because they haven't gone to nursery and they haven't had to kind of tussle over a toy train or or you know. Sit two people, two 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 kids reading a book together, or whatever, and not even just sharing, but knowing how to be social. Yes, a lot of them are scared, and for the you know the, there were some parents who obviously were very scared themselves. So those children are fearing germs now, or fearing getting sick, which is but on a the real shame. I do think that on balance, it was a, a reset that the world needed. I mean, I'm sorry that it had to happen like that. But I do think that it gave people a pause. And I do think that most people have emerged from it um, thinking more about their actions and not just being on a kind of doing things by rote and on a treadmill of, of, um, of consumerism. And, and I, I think that in the end, it will prove to have been um, a positive thing if you can, if, you know, I mean, it can't. Something no, like, I think it, energetically. Brannies can't really be a positive thing. But at the same time, we were never going to stop and think. Um, and so it took that to make a lot of people stop and think about how they might want to live their lives differently, do things differently. And, you know, I, mean, I love the fact that, that it, we've kind of seen the death of the office as it used to be. You know, if people want to work from home, then a lot of people can work from home and have a, yeah. a better balance to their life. Yeah. 
I think it was that energetic collective um, rock bottom that we needed for that reset. And, and, and I do see what that's doing. And I hear a lot of people, you know, talking about this and this reset was needed. We can't carry on the way we were going. And you're right. People are thinking, people are thinking. I'm, I'm sorry it had to happen like that, but I, I think that in the end, it will have, it will have been the positive thing. Yeah. Before we get going, um, are you ready for All About You, the quick fire round? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so the first one is always the same for every guest, and that is wellness is? Wellness is taking time to focus on yourself, not just after everybody around you. Oh, yeah, I love that. Um, if you could raid one person's brain and retain all their information and knowledge, who would it be? Gosh, that's really, I, I mean, the late Steve Jobs is one of my heroes, I think, you know, and he was obviously a lot more um, mathematically and tech minded than I am. I'm very, I never know, is it right brain or left brain, but whatever it is, the creative side, I'm almost exclusive. Yeah, right brain. Yeah. And I think that he probably had a good chunk of left brain to him. Yeah. Uh, while also having a fair bit of right brain, I would say. So I think the late Steve Jobs. Great answer. I've never had that one before. Um, the best lesson you could offer to women starting businesses? Whatever your plans are, just bear in mind, it's going to take twice as long, cost twice as much money as you think it's going to. And that's a kind of law of the universe. So, you know, maybe don't give up the day job maybe partner with somebody but you know don't allow your business dreams to run into the sand just because it's taken longer than you think because a business is like a car it's that kind of naught to 60 curve and at the beginning beginning you've got no brand awareness it's all going along very very flat and then suddenly it takes off but that moment that it takes off is quite a long way along that that curve yeah uh, what do you know to be absolutely true that others would disagree with? Oh, my word. What do I know to be absolutely true that others would disagree with? That there is a huge... One day, they will be able to measure little electrons firing between human beings mm. that we can't see or feel, but we know how we missed them in lockdown and we've all kind of come into a social setting after lockdown and felt the electricity and the energy that's there and so I'm absolutely convinced that there are little little somethings that fire between human beings that we can't see. yeah well I think they have started to measure it really within how they measure energy right and Zach Bush talks about this a lot when you hug someone you're actually giving them your sun. So the sun that you have synthesized from the sun, you actually pass to someone else when you hug them for oh. 20 seconds. I know, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so last one, obviously because of the beauty Bible, what product are you loving right now? What product am I loving right now? I am loving oh, so many things. Um, I am a big fan of, I've got the empty on my desk. It's a L'Occitane product that did incredibly well in our beauty bible trials called Divine Harmony. It's their top of the range um, age-defying cream. And I, I'm still loving it, but I've nearly run out, so I need to get another one. Um, and it's the one that I've got this, I've got one line on my forehead where my fringe misses. And if I stop using this cream, that line comes back. Huh. And I swear when I start using this cream again, and I obviously, you know, this is just, this is just me, but um, that line goes away. And wow. so I can't stop using it. What's the brand? It's L'Occitane. Right. Divine Harmony. Okay. And it comes with a refill, so you don't have to buy the outer packaging every time. Oh, I love that amazing joe thank you so much it's been so lovely speaking again lovely we'll put all your details in the show notes and um okay. let's hope we can do this again sometime that would be lovely and um yes 
Happy freedom, everyone. Yes, happy freedom indeed. Lots of love. Okay, take care. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. And thank you also for taking responsibility for your well-being by listening to podcasts like this. It's something I really appreciate. And before you go, I just wanted to remind you to check out the Recondition Your Life Academy at laurenvacneencoaching.com. It's a 12-week course that I run three times a year for small tribes of like-minded women. If you love anything you're hearing here on the podcast, this course will serve you so deeply everything from inner child healing divine feminine healing and health optimization to how to find your purpose and how to find or cultivate conscious relationships and so much more check out all the testimonials on the website from some very happy previous academy members the growth and healing available in this course really is unique just head over to the website and make sure to get your name on the waiting list for when we launch the next semester sending so much love your way 